1: Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everybody, welcome to a delayed edition of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. This is Patrick alongside Eddie. Jason couldn't be here today, but Eddie, how's it going, my friend?
2: It's going good. A little bit uh, delayed, but eh, can't complain. You know, the Ducks come out with a win, so and maybe not maybe not as much of a dramatic win this time, right? They didn't get completely outplayed, so it's uh, looking up, I guess, right?
1: On a, on a much more stacked and uh, veteran team by the Blues, I feel like this was probably the Ducks' best game after the first period. First period was kind of sloppy, yeah. but uh, other than that, I think it kind of came back together. Uh, the changes in the lineup tonight, Troy Terry back in, Carter Rowney out with injury, as we heard last game, um, Luke Shin and Blandisi were both healthy scratches. And then it was in net. it was Ryan Miller versus Chad Johnson. So the battle, of the backups, Baller and Manson, Lindholm and Montour. Ah, how did I know that was going to happen? Right. Yeah. Apparently it didn't work for one game. Um, and so it goes back to this, which didn't work for the previous four games. Uh, I don't know how did you feel when you saw those when you saw those uh, pairings again because I really didn't feel like it was the defensive pairs that screwed everything up in Dallas I thought it was more of a collective uh, defensive game set up by the forwards including right the defenseman
2: it's kind of funny how it was bad for one game and I guess it was everybody was really bad in that game especially in the second period it was really just the second period where everything got away from the Ducks in that game against Dallas but it's funny how the original pairings they started the season with, like you said, were bad for four games, and then they switched them. And then this pairing, the 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 pairings with uh, Lintholm, Manson, and uh, Fowler and Montour were bad for one game. Like, okay, we're going back. We're gonna go right. back to the original ones. And it's not like they were great last night either. They weren't that good again, um, which is still worrying because now we've seen both. Right? We've seen the Lintholm with Manson. We've seen Lintholm with Montour and vice versa for Fowler. And both of them just haven't looked good which is kind of worrying because we thought putting the Lindholm back with Manson and Fowler back with Montour would do maybe not wonders for this team, but it would help out. And it's one game, but it really didn't do anything.
1: No, I mean, but I guess if if you're only looking at the shots against, I guess it kind of doesn't tell the whole story. We look at the scoring chances, particularly um, the high danger chances of five on five is pretty even for both teams. So maybe the pairing didn't work out into shot suppression, but Maybe keeping guys to non-dangerous areas was the positive we could take away here because it wasn't dominant either one way or the other. So, you know, the Ducks kept the game close. But I still agree. Having that familiarity that worked so well last season, is, I mean, Lino Manson was a given. But the fact that we finally found someone, we, you know, me, because obviously I'm in Bob Murray's ear, uh, found somebody to play alongside Cam Fowler, who is just as dynamic as he is uh, with Brandon Montour. And then just to kind of to rip it apart after just a stellar um second half of the season by those guys kind of just blows me away really it's like you finally don't have your talented guys playing with boat anchors and now you decide to flip-flop the the, uh, the pairings and i don't understand the idea behind it but i mean it is what it is at this point i don't really see them changing it going forward unless things start to really go down the dark path again
2: yeah i mean to start the season with the the mixed up pairings ones that we've really never seen before made no sense Honestly, like, I don't know where that came from. Have we even ever seen, like, do you remember ever seeing Lindholm with Montour for an extended period of time last year?
1: Um, I think a little bit in the playoffs, right? But like, yeah, they, but, but like in the regular season, it example. wasn't. <laughs> no, I would have to go back and look through, like, their their time on ice share and look at numbers. Just to, you know, That's a whole project in itself. But uh, it'd be interesting to see if we could dig up numbers and see how the pairings uh, fared with when they were mixed up as to when they were together. But uh, so this game, we go back to the old pairings. The Ducks did squeak out the win. Obviously, this is we're doing this podcast a day late. We understand that. But uh, we still wanted to break it down for you guys. Um, no Getzloff still. Uh, so apparently he's close. Um, no Patrick Ease. No update. Very quiet. Very concerning uh, with Andre Kasha. Nothing. There's what happened nothing to the out. Ducks being more open about this this year? Like, where, where did um, that go? That's a lie. It's a lie. Yeah, it's a definite lie but uh so that's that's just the way it goes i don't know what else to say about that with the injuries i mean it's really concerning to me that andre Kosh has sustained a concussion now uh, for the second season in a row and we haven't heard anything about it right now it's just a, it's just a, a terrible thing because you never know how those things are going to heal when he's going to be back um if it was minor they probably would have said a couple weeks they would have said week to week we haven't heard anything just out indefinitely which is just not a good thing to hear from when you're talking about any player with any injury but let alone a head injury um what do you say, man? We get this show on the road. Let's let's crack the intro and uh, break down the first period. Trying to get by Bennett. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets left center. Perry.
2: <laughs> Stewart. Corey Perry. Millian oh, able to take away
0: from Solani. Getting away to Solani around the.
2: All right, well let's, uh, let's let's just get into this. I mean, it's it feels old, right? Doesn't it? I mean, it, yeah. it always it always tough the day after. It just it feels old because we I mean we have to write all these notes and then we have to go over and analyze it. And then at least the night before it's like or the night after the game you're like, all right, you know, it's a little bit fresh. But now the day later you're like,
1: if it's a loss, it's worse. At least this is a win. Oh, uh, I wouldn't even have wanted to do it today, but we would have done it. I would have been like, I don't really want to talk about something that I missed. I had to go back and watch the day after. I mean, clearly everyone knows by now is listening. If you've seen our our uh, our social media, Jason and I were at uh, his brother's wedding last night in San Diego. So there was no way the the wedding started at 430. The game started at four o'clock. And uh, I think everybody was pretty inebriated by the time the game was over. There was no way we were going to be able to be podcasting from the hotel room. But uh, great. How dare you have a life? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure nobody wants to hear me talk about how fun the wedding was, man. Let's get into the first period. Um, as I kind of indicated pre-show, the Ducks really struggled in their own z- in their own zone, which is just what we've seen every single game. Honestly, uh, at times it's been better than some. But uh, it, it just again, the struggle out to, to start the game has just not been a great thing for the Ducks. Uh, that was probably their worst period. Right. Of this game. Um,
2: yeah. Luckily,
1: I... they the game stayed close. Right. I mean, the Ducks came away <laughs> with a goal in this period, which is which is remarkable.
2: Yeah, it it didn't really start off that well. I mean, they struggled with zone exits, which we've kind of seen throughout the first five games. They couldn't get the puck out of their own zone. Uh, And then it was a lot of dump and chase again. Uh, No sustained pressure. No, Again, no controlled zone exits. Not really controlling the play in the neutral zone. Uh, And just not... I mean, it it wasn't either, like, at least in the first couple games, or I, I don't want to say at least, but in the first couple games, it was the other team who was pushing the play. And this one, nobody had chances for, like, the first five minutes. It was just a lot of dump and chase kind of feeling the other team out. And I think that's maybe a product of the fact that both teams played the night before. So now they're just kind of trying to see how tired maybe each of them is or trying to feel the system. It's also the first meeting of the year for them. So I think it was a bit of a feeling out process.
1: Well man, let's talk about the golden because that's the highlight of this period. Um none other than Max team come to with just a spectacular pass to hit the stretch for I mean the guy who's playing for a damn contract we've been talking about every game, Jakob Silverberg comes in and I mean it looks like he just feathered that puck, but it was it was I don't know, it exploded off his stick, but just the movement on his wrist, that release is ridiculous. And It goes right over the top of Chad Johnson's glove into the top shelf and it's all of a sudden man, it's one that the Ducks. It's a typical Jakob
2: Silverberg goal when he's on the breakaway. I don't really ever <laughs> remember seeing him make too many moves. Uh, you don't really see him make moves uh, to begin with, whether it's in the shootout or, or just in open play, but this is his go-to. You know, he kind of pulls it a little bit of a fake, and this brings it back into his wheelhouse and throws it over the, the blocker side or glove side of Chad Johnson in this one. So, I mean, a great effort by him, but what a pass by Maxim Comtois. Honestly, uh, like it, just a great effort for him. I mean, he's falling. And he gets enough on it to get it out to Silverberg.
1: He didn't get just enough. It was a That was a hard pass. Yeah. It was tape to tape. It was perfect. He's really making a case uh, for the Santa High management to take a long look at him and maybe keep him beyond the nine games, which I think we've been asked every single show. Is he going to stay? Is he going to stay? Is he going <laughs> to send down? Is Sam Steele going to stay? They're going to send him down. It's like uh, Comtois and Lundestrom and Keefer Shear would have been, I think, remarkable for the Ducks. And uh, Comtois, obviously, at the top of that list for me, he's really making a case, man. I, I, I'd i be shocked at this point if he continues this pace after next Sunday being the ninth game of the year that uh, that he gets sent over or back down to the queue. Yeah, I, I
2: can't. I don't want to say I can't see it now because I can still see it. I can still see that being an, an, an option. But he's getting close now. I mean, he's six games in and he's still playing well. I don't think he's really ever had a bad game so far. I mean, he's got five points in six games, and he's even the, the one game he didn't get a point in, he still s- set up a screen in front for Jakob Silver to get a goal. I mean, he was still making an impact. I didn't really check how many hits he had in this game, but I'm sure he's still obviously leading the Ducks and made an impact in, physically in this game. So I don't know how you send him down unless everybody's back healthy. I, I think a lot of it depends on the fact if Andre Kasher and Patrick Eves are back. But if you keep him after the nine-game limit then you might as well keep them at least for half the season, even if they do come back. Because imagine you keep them for 11 games, and they come back and you send them down. That's a complete waste. I mean, it's, it's almost like playing Troy Terry for two games last year,
1: like they did. <laughs> that's a, So, I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibilities that they're still going to burn a year off his contract. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. That they would do something like that. I mean, they have so many guys that are primed to come back eventually this season that you'd think he's probably going to get sent. And we haven't even talked about uh, Nick Richie and his contract situation, and you know what happens if he comes back. Is he going to get a slot in here? I mean, Cumberbatch is probably already outperforming him offensively at this point, in my opinion, to, to what Nick Richie was going to bring. Although. He worked with uh, with Gary Roberts and got an amazing shape. So who knows what what Nick Ritchie can bring to the table at this point. But Maxine Compto, man continuing to light it up along with Jakob Silverberg. Um, And that about does it for the first period highlights there. The Ducks get the only goal. Um, Yeah, they were outshot. They were out attempted. But for the most part, Miller really only had to make one outstanding save. The Ducks did really limit the Blues and their chances.
2: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't what we were used to seeing so far. I think it was good in that aspect. And honestly, if you go back and listen to our last show, we were kind of worried for this game uh, with the powerhouse that the Blues have become and what they did in the offseason, worried about them dominating the game just like the Stars did. And just like, I mean, really, honestly, if Arizona can dominate the Ducks the way they did, uh, we're all worried about what the Blues could do. But I think the Ducks did a good job. They looked more organized. Uh, Yeah, they still had issues exiting their own zone. Yeah, they still had issues setting up. But defensively, they looked a little bit more organized and were able to kind of uh, suppress what St. Louis had coming offensively. So it wasn't that bad. Uh, But Cagliano, Kessler, and Raquel, I think we have to talk about that quickly. I don't want to go on it too long, but that was not a great first period for them. And it's just such a weird line. Like, I don't understand putting Ricard Raquel with those two guys. I, I mean he benefits from having somebody can help drive play we talked about him with ryan getzloff last show but he just doesn't work with them because he's kind of tasked with doing everything and i don't know if he's that guy
1: well i mean ryan kessler has offensive upside uh for sure but he's also i think he's more of a defensive forward and he's not as creative as ryan getzloff is um kessler I, i don't think he has that sort of uh like set up the trigger man capabilities that, that uh, Ryan Getzloff has. I mean, clearly. Otherwise, he's, he would be the number one center on this team. Uh, and he's just only there because of necessity at this point. I think Adam Henrique would probably be the better center for Ricard Raquel, to be, to be honest with you. it's, I mean, that a lot has to say about what uh, Ryan Getzloff brings to Ricard Raquel's game. I've been saying it since he's been hurt. Ricard Raquel's numbers suck because Ryan Getzloff's not in the lineup. I, I and mean, that's, that's, that's plain and simple to me.
2: Yeah, I I could see that. I, I don't want to fully say that Ricard Raquel's success has been due to Ryan Getzlaff, but it's obviously had an impact. I mean, this might just be an off year for Ricard Raquel. Um, Maybe. You know, there was a couple of games he played with Getzlaff where he didn't look that great. Buying the first game of the season, he didn't really look like uh, that great of a player he could turn things around. Everybody goes through slumps, so maybe he turns things around, but it it doesn't look good. It's not a good sign, because this this is an extended period of time without Ryan Getzloff right now, um, and it just hasn't looked good. But yeah, I mean, playing him with Ryan Kessler doesn't do anything for me. I mean, Adam Henrique, of course, would be a better partner, but he's kind of worked something out with Maxim Comtois and Jakob Silverberg, but why why not put him with Sam Steele? I I mean, at least then you get a little bit more offensive upside, and I think they're just kind of trying to figure out where he works right now because that one line with Henry Comtois and Silverberg has looked good. Last night, Steele Lindstrom and would look good, and now it's like, oh, where do we kind of fill these other parts? Because you don't want to put somebody from the fourth line up with Ricard Raquel, so then you're only left with Cogliano and Kessler.
1: Yeah, I mean, so there's just some lineup issues, right? And yeah. maybe some mismanagement of players. But they're just tinkering with the lines. I don't think they really are comfortable with anybody. I feel like they're just comfortable... Uh, mixing things up constantly, except for come to Silverberg, and um, when thinking of there, Henry. and Henrique. Yeah, so I think beyond that line, they just been kind of mixing and matching and as they go. I mean, clearly they're doing that with the defensive pairings. Yeah, but that, that was not a good look. I mean, they didn't have good numbers, whether you're looking at the score sheet or you're looking at the uh, the deeper data, uh, fancy stats, analytics, whatever. But uh, the second period, man, talk about a complete flip flop from the game in Dallas. You're talking about a second period. Ducks came out uh, and blitzed the Blues, honestly. Henrik Springs silberberg um, but he just didn't get enough on it. I don't think Johnson got a piece of it. Uh, and The shots at one point were 11-1 to 1 in this period with almost 11.5 minutes to go, and the scoring chances were 5-1. to 1. So much better start to the second period than the one we saw in Dallas where it was just a train wreck. I think it was probably the best
2: little run of play they've had all season. They really looked like they were taking it to... To the Blues, and unfortunately they don't get a goal. I, I mean, that's... I guess that's how it goes. The, the, finally, the Ducks get some s- sustained pressure for a long period of time. Like, like you said, they outshot them 11-1. Not a ton of scoring chances. I mean, that Silverberg chance was probably the best one they had, and, and Johnson does get a, a, enough of it to send it wide with his glove, but... Yeah, I mean it it's it's crazy to see. It's you know, it's nice that they got that sustained pressure, but nothing comes out of it and then meanwhile they get blasted
1: in other games and they just take advantage of the odd opportunity they have and they score. I mean, it's just kind of the way hockey goes sometimes, man. It, it yeah. always goes it, I mean, Jason always talks about. It. I know he's not here tonight but or today, but he he always will say like it's always so weird that the ice is tilted forever, forever forever and then that team goes back to the way and they score. Yeah. Um, and we know that. The, it's happened to the Ducks. The Ducks have been dominated, 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 and they get a goal. They get a lucky goal, get an odd-man rush, and you know what? I mean, the Blues sustained, sustained uh, the storm in the second period. They end up getting a goal. A Steen outworks Montour in front of the net is able to tip Edmondson's point shot past Miller. He was, like, falling when he made that tip, it looked like, and still got it sticked on it, and all of a sudden, it's a tight game.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a tough play because you, you really want Montour to do better on that play because he is in a net battle with Alexander Steen, who's not too much bigger than him, uh, and he just gets flat out worked. And it, you know it's a great patience by Edmondson at the blue line to kind of wait it out and wait for somebody to get in position, and then yeah, like I said, Steen just outworks Montour and gets a piece of it just enough to get past ryan miller i mean you can't really blame too many people on that play other than Brandon Montour, because if he's able to just muscle steen out a little bit ryan miller probably
1: sees that puck and gets and uh, covers it up and we're still a one nothing anaheim yeah it's tough to nitpick though right it's kind of yeah. like Montour makes a bad play or doesn't do enough on a play not that he made a bad play doesn't do enough to get the stick out of the way and yeah pucks like that go in all the time um that's just what it is. What it is. One, one is the, is the game here. A couple of the penalties go down. Ducks don't convert on the power play. End up taking another penalty. Kessler goes to the box for slashing. It's four on four. When that expires, of course the blues have a power play. Fowler can't clear on a scramble in front of Miller. Bozak gets a stick on it. I mean, Fowler slapped that out of the way. It felt like it came right back to Bozak and right back to Fowler's area. And Bozak, for whatever reason, it was able to get enough on it to chip it over Miller. And now all of a sudden it's two, one blues ducks, uh, now back uh, you know, playing from behind
2: and of course it's in a period where they're actually playing pretty well and uh, somehow they come out of it down two to one and uh, it's it's really two efforts that I, again there are people to blame first one you can blame Montour a bit and then I guess the second one you can blame Campfire for not getting a full enough piece of it but it's just kind of an unlucky play where Fowler doesn't get enough of it and Bozak's just in the right position to get a stick on it and throw it past Ryan Miller. There's not much Ryan Miller could do on either of them. I mean, the first one's a tip. He's expected it to go somewhere else, and the second one he really can't find the puck, and Bozak's able to put it through on the power play. Uh, it, it, it was kind of disappointing because, again, this was finally the second period, and especially coming after off the last game against Dallas where they're actually playing well, and you look at how bad the second period was against Dallas, so anything could be better than that and yet somehow they still come out in this one and get outscored 2-0 in the second period, even despite playing better.
1: Well, luckily for the Ducks, the period would end. It would be 2-1 Blues. Shots were 21-21. And then the bright spot, um, looking at the line combos, we, we just totally trashed Cogliano, Kessler, and Raquel. But we get to praise this one here. Lundestrom, Steele, and Sherwood, the rookie line. They looked really good. You know, um, I know they didn't play against the top guys in the Blues, but they really dominated play when they are out there on the ice. Yeah,
2: and and you look at their numbers at the end of the game, too, which we'll get into, but they looked really good throughout the entire game, which was, I guess, kind of surprising. I don't think they even started together. At least the Ducks, when they tweeted out their lines at the beginning of the game, I don't believe all three of them were together. I think they were mixed up for a bit. I I believe Lindstrom started on the fourth line. I think Gibbons was on the third line, and then they mixed it up some point throughout the game. Uh, but whatever they did, I mean, it was great. And and honestly, surprising that three guys playing in their first season were able to come out and do so well. And and it's not like they were matched up against horrible opponents. I mean, they were matched up against Tyler Bozak's line, and St. Louis has probably some of the best forward depth in the league. So they've got Jordan Kiryu and Pat Maroon on that line. I mean, that's not a bad line. And, and that's a line that probably should, on paper, take advantage of playing against three rookies. But, I mean, the Steel uh Lindestrom, and would had their way with that line and had their way with the Blues' fourth line for pretty much most of the game. Uh, great effort. I, I mean, I hope that means we can see more of them in the next game. I don't know if it will. I mean, we don't know anything so far this year. It doesn't really seem like Randy Carlisle and, and the management are really reacting to anything that's happening. They're just kind of looking at a win or loss and changing some things up. So I hope it means we
1: see them together, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. The Ducks' record is not indicative of how they've been playing. Oh no. Uh, they're, <laughs> it's four no. one and what are they, 4 one oh, one? Four one and one. Uh, or four one and one, yeah. So that lets you know right there, this team should be really good. They should be dominating teams and like they haven't played the best uh, of quality of competition, I don't think, yet. Um and they've been outplayed in almost every single game, except for this game. So Yeah, I think the coaching staff, they're looking at wins and losses and they're not digging deep. But I can't imagine they're that ignorant. I know I tease all the time about how these guys don't pay attention to anything beyond the score sheet or the box score. But they're not dumb. They have to know what's going on. So good for the Ducks, though, man, because they're finally starting to get their wheels under them in this game, it looks like. Uh, But then the third period comes around. And although there's tons of positives in this third period, the biggest problem we run into tonight is Jakob Silver blocks a shot goes to the locker room, comes back for a shift, and then leaves. He's done. Out of the game. Um, probably broke his hand, broke his finger, broke his thumb. Uh, I don't know who shot the puck, but it hit his glove, and he was in pain and didn't return. He did something,
2: whatever it is. I, I mean, it looks like a hand. We had a, a replay go out on our Twitter um, where he blocked the shot, and, and you know the Ducks, of course, just reported his upper body. Uh, but, yeah, it definitely looks like his hand. And, I mean, I hope it's not that bad. I mean, we are just kind of speculating if he broke it or whatever. But the fact that he didn't return in a, in a game where the Ducks were down 2-1 to one doesn't look good. Um, hopefully it's just a bruise or something that he's not out too long. But, of course, I mean, the Ducks' injuries have already been bad. The fact that they entered the season losing uh, Andre Cash Patrick Ease, Ryan Kessler, who eventually came back, but then also losing Ryan Getzlaff. And now the only player of the you know, of their former top six who had been playing well in Jakob Silverberg gets injured and I, what do they do now I mean the only guy left from, from the normal top six I guess now that Kessler's back is him and Raquel and that's it and Raquel's not playing that well and Kessler had the one good game I guess he hasn't been awful but he hasn't been great um, what are they going to do I mean it doesn't look like Cash is ready doesn't look like Eves is ready if Silverberg's hurt. I mean, even Rowney got hurt. That's not a big injury, but even he's out. I mean, this is exactly like mm-hmm. last year now. this All these guys getting injured and going out, yet somehow the Ducks are actually winning games.
1: I don't understand what's going on with this injury bug that's hitting Anaheim. I feel like ever since the Mumps hit the locker room a couple seasons back, a few seasons <laughs> back, it's been like just consistent shit has been hitting Anaheim with injuries or illnesses or... Yeah, I don't know, man. It's been nonstop. They, I mean, if they lose... And God forbid, if they lose John Gibson for an extended period of time in the next, you know, before these guys all start coming back. I mean, hell, even if they do come back and come he gets injured, they're, they're in trouble. They're you in trouble. You can't say that. You can't just do that. It, throwing it out there. They, they, <laughs> they're like literally winning games by the skin of their teeth here. Um, if they lose, that's their most significant player, right, that they can yeah. lose at this point. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, the most important, I guess, after the guys that are out would be him. The yes, their defensemen are great. But uh, pray to God John Gibson doesn't hurt. And I say that, Eddie, not to uh, put that out in the air, but because Brian Hayward, last game, I think he's hurt. Look how slow he's getting up. Oh, yeah. man, I don't know. It's like, I don't know, man. He faced a game's worth of shots in the second period, dude. How about <laughs> you just relax for a minute oh, and not try to scare man. people? I guarantee you, when he said that, that everyone went on Twitter searching for a Ducks like update. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. For John, for John Gibson, especially when he didn't start the third period. I, like, what dude, I don't
2: get is, man, he says that like almost every game John Gibson plays in. But he watches every (laughs) single game. Like, he he sees this happen all the time. Like, maybe if it was like, you know, a commentator who hasn't seen too many games and doesn't really know that John Gibson, one, gets up slowly on a lot of plays, or two, just isn't watching the game and realizing that John Gibson has faced 30 plus shots in this period and is probably tired. Like, I don't get it. I don't get how he continually does it. Because it wasn't even just this game. That was the first time this season. How many times did he say it last year? Oh yeah, he's, he's always hurt. Endless. Gibson's always hurt. Maybe well, that feeds he's a into, into the a fan. Gold-tender. Yeah, mm, that's yeah. What he knows. Maybe that feeds into like the fan. I mean, every Gibby's injury prone, but he's never really been out for a long period of time. He's just had injuries here and there. And then you've got the commentators feeding in everybody's ear that maybe he's hurt. He's getting up slow again. When is it just going like, to be like? Um, oh, I mean, that's what he does. He just, he just gets up slow. I don't know what he to might say. Be gassed, man. I don't know. <laughs> That's just what he does. He's just like a laid-back guy. He just he literally gets up slow on almost every play where he doesn't have to get up fast.
1: He's also 6'4 and lanky and athletic yeah. and able to like reach places without having to get up and scramble. He's not Jonathan Quick like swimming in the crease. It's just not his style. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, so, Silverberg's hurt. Not good. No updates for you guys if you're wondering listening to this, if you haven't already searched Twitter today. But uh, to the positive parts of this third period, the Ducks would tie the game street gets his goal his second of his nhl career tips a blast from josh manson all of a sudden man we got a game it's two to two and the ducks are looking good is ben street the new derrick grant is he Ah, uh, you said it last night on twitter man and yeah. i was thinking the same thing i was like maybe he is maybe he's the guy he's been he's subbing in for the injuries he's gonna put up he's gonna be putting up points and earn himself a contract right Nobody talks about him going into the year, which is
2: you know, which makes sense because he's not a guy you expect. To, I didn't really expect him to make this team, let alone be putting up goals. And I, that was the exact same position that uh, that uh, Derek Grant was in last year, where you didn't really expect him to be doing anything offensively. Gets his first goal, which Derek Grant did last year as well for this team, and then now gets his second, and he's just contributing. And this is what you need from these guys, when especially when all these guys are hurt. You need these guys who you don't really expect to contribute offensively to get involved. And this is a game. This is a huge goal for the Ducks. This is a game tying goal. When things weren't looking that great for them, Jakob Silverberg, their best player this year, just went out injured. They had played a good second period, but got outscored. they were they're down going into the third period. I mean, you can't ask for any more from this guy when he went on. They put him on waivers at the beginning of the year. We all thought he was going to get sent down to San Diego and then all the injuries forced him to stay up. I, I can't be happier with, with how he's contributing. I, I mean you don't expect this. And the fourth line has looked good.
1: But one of the big bright spots of the team, right, is the bottom the bottom two lines being able to produce some points. It's mostly kids or uh you know NHLRs who haven't proven themselves, you know. Yeah. So moving on here, the ducks end up getting the game winning goal. Andrew Cogliano, the Iron Man, chipping away at front of the net. He does all the work on the four check. Kessler able to find a way to get to the front of the net and Cogliano honestly just wax it chops it over the pad of Johnson and all of a sudden it's a 3-2 game Um, and I think you said it a couple of people said it. line just a rare power play goal because usually he's not out there getting those he's usually the shorthanded guy or or even strength yeah I I don't remember the last time I I remember seeing Cogliano on the power
2: play because usually the Ducks have enough healthy forwards to actually not have to play him on the power play because let's be honest, he's not a guy that really should be on the power play. But when you have all these guys out, he kind of finds a spot on there. And I believe he was playing with uh on the first unit with with uh, Kessler and Raquel. But I mean, he makes it takes advantage of it. He goes to the front of the net, which is what I guess you would expect from a guy like Andrew Cogliano. So kudos to him, honestly, and ends up getting the game winning goal. So. People chirp him a lot for missing on breakaways, which I guess is warranted. But big goal from him. I, I mean, something needs to happen with this power play. This is like the I think this is the first power play goal they've had since the first game,
1: um, or like the
2: first like sustained pressure they've had on the power play since the first game. Pro-
1: definitely the, the pressure. I thought they had a power play goal more recently, but probably. That could be wrong. But but yeah, I mean,
2: at least they had some pressure on the power play. It looked better, but. What do you expect? I mean, you're not going to get a lot of good looks when you have to put on Andrew Cogliano on the power play.
1: No, he's just not the guy for the job in that situation. Um, he's the guy who always gets the breakaway in the scoring chances and isn't able to finish or the amount of chances he gets. He should yeah. have much higher stats. Not to say he's a bad player. He just That's what it takes in the NHL, man, to be a finisher. It's so difficult. But yeah. uh, great to see him get a goal there. Great to see Kessler get the assist on that because that line's been just, just crap and they were able to put something together on the power play for the Ducks. That's the game-winning goal. We haven't had to mention a lot about Ryan Miller, and that's been great, but he did make two big saves before the game would come to a close. One on Kyru, uh, in front of the net, and then another on Tarasenko, uh, who basically almost pushed it through Ryan Miller, but he was able to keep it out. And that's all she wrote. Ducks come away with a 3-2 to victory in St. Louis, coming off the second half of a back-to-back after a thorough beating uh, by the Dallas Stars the night before. No John Gibson in that. Ryan Miller stands tall in his first appearance, man. How did you think of this game as a whole? I, I, it's tough to say this was the best
2: game the Ducks have played all season.
1: Because we're I six think,
2: games in. Yeah, and, and because they played awful, but and this game wasn't great. But I think it was the best game they played all season because they didn't get blown out. They The, the shot attempts were relatively normal. Shots on goal were, I believe, pretty close. And... It, they, they knew both teams were going in on a back to back, and the, the the Ducks, with a depleted lineup, still going against a, a very strong, healthy St. Louis Blues team. I expected a lot worse. I, I expected similar to what we saw against the Stars. So, you know, for them to come out and get, I guess what you could say is a deserved win. I think you could say that in this game. You maybe couldn't say it in any of the other wins they had this season. But this was a deserved win by them, a good performance by Ryan Miller, a good performance by the team as a whole. They were able to come into the third period down a goal and grind out a win. So you know they, they took advantage of the opportunities they had. So I think this was probably the best game they've had this season.
1: They controlled the play in the third period for the most part, and that's why they got those two goals, yeah. right? I don't know one was a power play, but they didn't get blasted in the third period. Usually... When the team is uh, down, you see the attempts go the other way because they're, yeah. they're, you know, they're they're pinching in when they shouldn't be pinching, and they're sending an extra guy in deep to try to get the puck out to try to create scoring chances when it's a one goal game. The Ducks prevented a lot of that. They played really well. Um, I know the shot share numbers look like crap uh, for the Ducks defense and for the team, uh, basically largely uh, when you look at the top guys. But I mean, seriously, by limiting chances and limiting where those chances com- uh, come from, did a number for the Ducks here and it paid dividends because they end up getting the win. Um, what do you say, man? Do you want to hop into post game notes? Do you want to hop into questions? How do you want to How do you want to roll with the uh, post game here? Uh, let's Let's hop into some of the post game notes because I saw
2: some people talking about this on Twitter. Um, if you haven't heard, well, William Nylander and Nick Richard, are the two guys who haven't signed their uh, RFA or haven't signed a contract and they're pending RFA's right now. But uh, the bigger news, obviously, is William Nylander and. Uh, potentially getting some offers from the KHL, but some people had brought up what would it look like if the Ducks were to go after William Nylander. So if they were to bring him in, do you think it would help? And what would it take?
1: Uh, it would definitely help. I mean, you can't bring in a guy like that and not expect it to help. Um, it's going to take about seven million million, first of all, which is a, a big problem. It's probably going to take a 7 by 7 to grab him uh, away from Toronto. The Ducks are not in the same position as Toronto. So Willie's going to want a big deal. I feel like he's not going to settle for like a three-year deal at whatever rate. You know, he's going to want something extensive to be pulled out to where he's used to playing and play for a team that's not, in my opinion, um, opening a Stanley Cup window. They're more or less on the end of it. Um, if, they even, if they're even if they even close anymore. I had him pegged outside the playoffs, if anyone knows what I think about the Ducks this year, unfortunately. So if you're looking at a trade to get William Nylander, I mean, hell you're talking about these prospects that are playing really well for the ducks right now. I mean, you, you take your pick as to what they're going to have to give up. There's no hiding these guys in the NHL and showing that they can't play. These guys have got NHL games under their belt. And I think Toronto would be wise to, to look at, you know, Maxim Comtois, look at Isaac Lundestrom. Um, those are the guys they're going to be targeting. They're not going to be looking at Kosla uh, down in San Diego. It, it's, it's going to be targeting these guys who got NHL experience already. Um, and they, they're going to want a young guy. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll eat Corey Perry's contract and he you can bring over one of our top guys. It's not going to work like that. Um, I really feel it's going to it's going to take a really, really, really good NHL-ready prospect and maybe a veteran guy, and then they could probably swing a deal. But um, I don't think it's going to happen. The Ducks are not really privy to making those kinds of plays. I'm shocked no one else in the league is not off a sheet of that. Yeah. What the hell? We have this ability to do these things, to screw teams, and every GM kind of gets like, They just tighten their sphincters anytime that gets brought up anywhere. No one wants to do it to hurt someone's feelings. Look how
2: much cap space Carolina has and how well they're doing. I mean, imagine adding a guy like William Nylander to that team. And and the reason I think a lot of people want to have him in Anaheim to begin with is because he's a play driver. He's proven to be a play driver on Austin Matthews line. Austin Matthews defensively isn't that great, but William Nylander makes up for that with his ability to drive play in both zones. So, no wonder Lee's Leafs fans want him back, and no wonder other fans want him back, and I could understand why Ducks fans want to go for him. For Anaheim, I don't think it happens. I don't think, one, they can re-sign him for whatever he wants, which is obviously more than what Toronto was willing to pay, and uh, the Ducks aren't in a much better position cap-wise, especially long-term. And, and if it were, I mean, you would have to think it would be one of Manson or Montour going back the other way. I was way. just
1: going to say that. I forgot the defensive side of things. Yeah. yeah.
2: When you look at the blue line in Toronto, that's what they're looking for. And and one, one of either of them would be what Toronto would want. And I don't think the Ducks can necessarily give that up right now, especially this early in the season. But, yeah, why, why does another team not do it? Like, if I was Carolina, I'd be on that right away. They don't really have too many guys they have to re-sign. They've got a ton of cap space. Just go off your sheet William Nylander. Imagine a player like that. I mean, the Hurricanes are already a fun team to watch. They're already one of the best possession teams in the NHL. And then you add a guy like that for for a couple picks, when if you add him, you're likely going to be an even better team. I, I don't know. I don't get it. But it's the GMs. They're not going to do it.
1: So who would you rather give up at this point if you're Bob Murray and Kyle Dubas calls you and says, Hey, um, we want to work out a deal for Nylander. And uh, you we got You got to give us uh, one of your top prospects, a solid NHL defenseman, and um, something else you can throw in the bag if you want. Like I say, it's a, let's say it's a three-player trade from the Ducks end. Who are you giving up?
2: And On I say, it, I say the third
1: guy being kind of like a nothing guy you throw in just to throw in maybe for salary reasons to clear some of that for Willie.
2: Yeah, I still don't even know I, at this point what it would. I feel like the deal would obviously be a little bit cheaper than it would be if he was signed. Obviously. Because then the Leafs would be dealing out of position of the fact that they can't get a deal done with them, so they have less leverage. Um, as to who I would rather give up in Montour Manson, that's a tough question. Um I feel like it like it's tough to say. Like I feel like I would rather give up Josh Manson just because I think Montour still has more to give. And I feel like long term he might be the better player. But the you know, the Ducks need a player like Josh Manson. He hasn't been playing that well this year, but the defensive side of the game that he brings and just the physicality he brings to that blue line isn't really matched by anybody else. Uh, Maybe if Andre Schuster was a little bit more physical, obviously he's not as good of a player, but you could maybe supplement the loss of Josh Manson with that. But I I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I would say Josh Manson and then... Probably a prospect who's not currently playing on the Ducks. So maybe Antoine Morand or, <laughs> or Benoit Olivier Gru or somebody in that sense, or maybe one of the defensemen in the goals if the, the least wanted to go that way. But I think it just, I don't think it works out for the Ducks. I don't think they really ha- have the want or the need to make a deal like that happen, especially this early, because again, we saw it last year. They got forced into a trade because of injuries with with Adam Henrique for Sammy Biden that ended up working out. I don't think Bob Murray really likes being in those positions. He's almost getting forced into that type of position again, but the Ducks don't have that spare defenseman to trade this time around. So I, I don't I, I don't think it happens. I think they would just wait it out and wait till everybody comes
1: back. I mean, for for anyone who's looking at this, it's very clear what Bob Murray was doing in the offseason. He wasn't making flashy changes um yeah. he was bringing Patrick Eves back right the year before he gave him the contract he missed a whole year he's bringing back guys with veteran presence as the NHL likes to do he's not going out and trading somebody to bring in a flashy player like William Nylander who would be great for this lineup I really feel like he would take some of that pressure off uh, Ricard Raquel put, having to score all the goals you don't have a Corey Perry mucking and grinding down low for 20 goals this year we were hoping to see he would at least get 20 He's out till December. Um, you have your captain gone. The Ducks have dealt with this and been able to pull through and make the playoffs every year. But I think this is the year where that candle's finally going to burn out. I would love to see them make some sort of drastic trade to bring in William Nylander. I think it'd be good for this team. Um, this team is is aging. And they're aging themselves out of playoff contention by not moving on from these guys. And as much as I love Kessler and and, uh, and, and you know, I did like Corey. Fett. I never hated him. I just felt like I wanted more from him. Clearly, he was injured. So why he had surgery, but uh, this team just has never driven that uh, driven that way. They've always driven the veteran route and hope the cash guys in their prime with a few spare parts and make things work. Um, at least with the forward group, I feel. So we'll see how it goes. They have a lot of guys on the horizon that could be filling in spots. We're looking, getting a good look at them right now. But I would really love to see a, a Neilander trade. And uh, plus, I like that kind of stuff. So yeah. I like to see these yeah. things happen. They don't happen too often. They don't happen enough in the league.
2: Imagine him playing um, on a line with Raquel and Getzlaf. Just how lethal that would that, that would be, and it's probably the the best line we've seen the Ducks ice in a long time. If that was to come about, obviously it would open up a lot of issues on defense, but it sets you up at least for the future. I mean, the, the Ducks have a lot of good young defense prospects coming up, and if you can still manage to hold on to Linton, Montour, and Fowler, if you were to give up Manson, it's not the end of the world. There are still some some stopgaps that can be made or you make a, another move maybe at the deadline to bring in another defenseman if you have to. But it would just it would provide them with so many more opportunities up front. It's, it's something they haven't had in a while. And, and I feel like Nylander in, this, in the same sense is, is very similar to Ricard Raquel. In the, but the, I think the difference is that Nylander can drive play on his own. I think mm-hmm. that's the difference between the two of them. Um, Raquel I think maybe is a little bit more refined goal scorer and maybe Nylander is a bit of a better playmaker but it's it's essentially like having Raquel and Raquel 2.0 or Nylander and Nylander 2.0 on the same line they're very similar players in that sense and then you just pair them with Ryan Getzlaff and let them go wild I, I think that would be unbelievable unfortunately it's most likely just a pipe dream we probably or I, I don't want to say a certainty but we most likely
1: never see it happen no, Ducks just start that team, man. Um, no. Where do you want to go next?
2: Uh, well, we talked a bit about the Linderstrom-Steel-Sherwood line. A lot of people were mentioning that to us last night, uh, terming it the kid line. Do you think we see it next game, like, based on how well they played?
1: Did they play together in Dallas? They did not, I don't think. So Yeah, they, they did this whole like line blender. Yeah. Remember, everyone used to give Boudreau crap for that? Like, Boudreau would always, you know, yeah. blend the lines, oh, put the old line blender on. But he did I it like too.
2: Like, he did it like crazy. Like, it was every game, no matter if they played well or not, the lines would get changed, and then they'd get changed. Like, the only thing I liked is they got changed sometimes in the middle of the game if things weren't going well, and he did that more often than anybody, and a lot of times it worked out to the Ducks' favor. So I, I liked that instance, but changing them up every game, like, when it wasn't necessary, I
1: think is what got. A little bit too crazy. But now Carlisle seems to be doing that a little bit more often, too. He kind of has to, though, right? If he's not getting the play he wants out of his kids, he's got to move on. I'm just teasing because, you know, I'm not a huge Carlisle fan. But uh, I think we see him next game. Why change anything? Unless Getzloff's back at the lineup and they want to mix a match again, why change anything? Just leave it. Leave it alone. Let them play. Um, I mean, at least see where it goes. They had the most dominant night uh, out of all their nights, right? Um, And they were probably... I don't know I think maybe meshing well together given the chance to time you know to, to play a consistent whole game together really helps as well why not give him a few games and give him a crack at it
2: yeah I, I don't see why not I, again the question comes you said why change anything well I mean Randy Carlyle, we said it to him a couple of times this season so far and he's changed he things. so uh, likely we'll probably won't see them together and we'll be a little bit upset but I think the only thing we know for certain is that Henrik Silverberg and Comtois are going to be together if Silverberg is healthy um, otherwise, maybe we could see Hedrick come to on Raquel. That could be interesting to see that. Maybe we end up seeing that. I don't know. But last thing I want to get into before we get to questions is your boy Hampus Lindholm. Oh, yeah. He's putting a points, man. Don't look now. He's got six points in six games, and all six of those points came in his last four games.
1: He's oh, not flying well, under the he's radar. only played six games. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
2: But flying under the radar offensively, I don't think anybody's really – mention the fact that he has that many points so far
1: this season no and he's got a goal and five assists so i know he went he went top corner uh for his goal this season and uh and now he's got five more assists to collect here i you know he's my guy i think maybe this is a year where he uh he he finally starts getting that offensive potential right i'm just gonna take it and run with it give me what uh what you got here i mean he's six points in six games or in four game or four games right is where they came from but six and six he's a point yeah. per game player right now
2: yeah I mean, if it doesn't continue, I don't know, but we mentioned, uh, I think in the season preview, or multiple times last year, that could he ever be a Norris guy? Well, maybe if he gets 40 or 50 points. The funny thing is, the points are there, but what we're used to seeing from him isn't. Uh, Having a stable partner and being on the plus side in shot attempts and scoring chances, and he hasn't been that so far this season. You'd have to think that turns around for him at some point, but if he goes back to that, does that sacrifice the offense I don't know is he taking more risks right now is that maybe why the points are there but he's on the the opposite end of shot attempts I don't know I don't really it doesn't really seem like he's taking more risks but I we will have to wait and see I mean it's so early right he could just be off to a hot start but it is nice to see him doing well because we've kind of waited for a while for him
1: to start putting up more points I'm going to say, man, I think he clips the 45-point mark this year. I think he gets, I think he do, gets yeah. right up there in the 40s. I think he does. Um, the Ducks are playing a lot more of that free-roaming style with their defensemen. I mean, every single game we've noticed Manson pinching way low. Montour is always way low. Fowler coming in on a break and leading a rush. Lindholm coming in on a break and leading a rush. I mean, they're jumping up into odd man rushes all the time. So if they continue to make plays like that and get involved in scoring more, then you're just putting them up for more points. So I think it's a good year. If uh, they continue that style of play for him to build a clip that uh, 40, 45 point mark.
2: I mean, We can all hope so. That would be great for him. Um, let's We'll move into the questions. I think so. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yep. All right. So we had a question actually for last show that we didn't get to. So we had to apologize to Joseph Holmes on Facebook. But it was about Nick Ritchie. He said, do you think Nick Ritchie has an unfavorable reputation in the locker room because of or prior to his holdout? and is his reputation in the locker room isn't good do you think he
1: could be gambling his career in order to move to the same team as his brother um honestly i don't think the ducks are happy about it yeah i don't think any of them i don't think any of the leadership group is happy about him holding out left made a comment um, about it yeah i don't think he's happy about it um I don't, I, bad reputation i don't know if i would say that so much as it's just Maybe the guy, and I'm just speaking um, out of ignorance here because I don't know what it's like to be an NHL in that locker, but maybe it's cool, more like it's like the new guy who hasn't earned a spot yet trying to hold out. You know what I mean? Like he's not a solid top six guy who's putting up 50, 60 points a season and, you know, earned his keep as an NHL vet. He's kind of holding out for a little more change, is what it seems like here. Because what is he going to get anywhere else? I, I don't feel like he's worth. Is he worth more than Brandon Montour? Absolutely no. not. So is he, if he wants $3 bucks, I don't know. I don't think it has anything to do with his reputation, but I think now it might. Yeah. I think now it might be bugging leadership in that group. And maybe to get traded? I don't think so. I don't think he wants to go anywhere. I, I think he just wants to get paid. Especially
2: with all the injuries, right? Like you, you got all these injuries and you're having to bring all these kids into the lineup. I'm sure the leadership group and just uh, all the guys, especially all the guys injured. Which is, I guess, most of the leadership group is looking at it and saying, "Hey, man, look at how much we're you know we're winning games, but we're struggling to ice a, a regular lineup here. Like, get it done and get on the ice." And mm-hmm. and Ryan Getzlaff pretty much said something around the same the same words to that. I think it was in preseason or at the beginning of the season, saying how you know they they want him back in the lineup and he should be back in the lineup. But I mean. I I guess it'd be the same in in Toronto, too. I'm sure the Leafs want William Nylander back in the lineup. That's a little bit more of a difficult situation to work out than Nick Ritchie is, but I'm sure that starts weighing on them as well and and maybe hurts Nylander's reputation in the locker room saying, you know, we need you to be in this team on a consistent basis and you're not here because you're holding out for more money. And, Except Toronto's
1: scoring all the goals. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, they don't need him. And I, they don't need him that much. And, and his situation is a lot harder with the Leafs having to sign Marner and Matthews in next offseason. But Nick Ritchie, I mean, he has no excuse. He should have already signed a contract. He should already be playing. Um, so it, it doesn't look good on him. And I'm sure the players are unhappy. I, I Again, we don't have any inside information or inside look into the locker room and what his standing in the locker room was last year before this situation. But... It can't be doing that well right now with him holding out. No, not at all. Uh, let's move on to the next question we had from Instagram. We had McCann. He said, what are we going to do about Silverbrick and his uncertainty? I think this was referring to his contract uncertainty.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's about the injury. The injury really throws a wrench in this lineup, to be honest with you, if we're going to talk about that. Because um, you don't really have a winger that's as dynamic as him to come in and fill that role if he's out for any extended period of time. But we haven't heard anything about him on that front. So I think the less we hear, the better at this point. I think if he was injured right away, they would have said they're waiting for swelling to go down, and they're going to go x-ray his hand. It it might have just been a bruise, and they were going to take caution with it. Who knows? Hopefully, I'm not wrong in that assumption. But when it comes to his contract situation, he's playing his way for a nice deal. Uh, If he continues his hot start and hits that 60-70 point mark, which would be insane for him because he's never eclipsed. What's his point total highest? Like 40? Yeah, so he was right around. So... If he ends up staying on this hot start and clips, let's say he just clips 55, 60 points. Even if he just goes 20, 30, like twenty goals, thirty assists, that's what does that high. work to other teams? Yeah. I mean, guys, guys are getting paid six million dollars a year who do that. Yeah, they just are. And he's a he's a he's defensively reliable. He's a two way forward. You could put him out in the penalty kill. You could put him on the power play. You put him in the shootout. Clearly, you put him out in overtime. He's an all situation tool. Um, and I think he's a great player. So he's really, really putting him uh, putting himself. In a position to make a lot of money, and and uh, honestly, unless the Ducks are able to do something financially with one of their grizzled veterans, I don't think they can retain him.
2: Yeah, and that kind of moves into Steven's question that he had from Instagram too. He said, "Will the Ducks try to trade, resign, or let Silverberg go?" I think the last one's out of the question. I don't they're think they trade. let him go. Um, I think so it's trade. Either, yeah, it's either sign him or trade him. I think they end up trading him. Um, I mean, what? I mean, if they're doing good at the deadline it's going to be a hard decision but if you don't think you can trade him then you I mean if you don't think you can sign him you got to trade him I mean Bob Murray never lets guys go for free he traded Cal Palmieri uh, a season before he had to re-sign him for two second round picks and that's looking pretty nice right now for New Jersey as he's got six goals in his first uh, like four or five games with the Devils right now and he's playing on the line with Taylor Hall and Nico So. I mean, uh, we'd all love him back, but the Ducks didn't think they could resign him at the time. They probably couldn't, and they got rid of him. And if Silfverberg has a, a hot season this year, if he's sitting around close to 20 goals and 40, 50 points, even at the deadline or, or even close to that, I think you got to trade him because you're going to get a lot for him. Yeah, he's going to be a rental, but, you know, if you can't resign him, you don't want to lose him for nothing. And, yeah, it would be nice to have him for a playoff push but at that time, but you got to be realistic and – if you don't go far in the playoffs, you're going to lose a guy like that for nothing.
1: Yeah, they're, they they got to be very careful with how they handle the situation because they don't want to make a move that hurts this team by moving him off the team right? if he's playing well. But you can't underpay a guy. If, he, if he's going to put up 50, 60 points, um, I mean, look, William Nylander, yes, more upside, more ceiling there, but he put up 60 points and he wants, what, reportedly seven, to $8 million. Uh, so yeah. we're probably going to get in the realm of like five to six million dollars And the Ducks. I'd be shocked if they can make that work. They would really have to trade. Honestly, Corey Perry retain half his salary because no one's going to want to eat, want to eat eight million, nine million dollars for Corey Perry. So they free up four or five mil Then maybe they resign Silverberg there. But I don't see a lot of ways they can keep him. I just don't. They're not. They're probably offering him below exactly what he wants on purpose because they can at least say they're negotiating, but they know they can't resign him. I think they're going to be traded at the deadline for sure. Yeah, I I
2: don't think it's a realistic possibility right now for, for them to sign him. But let's move into the last two questions. They're kind of similar, so I'll package them together. Uh, they're from Keith and David, uh, both talking about Schuster. Keith said Schuster seemed to be a lot better tonight. Thoughts on him solidifying a spot on the third pairing? And David just kind of echoed that, saying Schuster looked good tonight as well. I think he's looked better than Shen, uh, but they seem to want to kind of rotate them.
1: Um, this was, uh, I think, honestly, Schuster's best game of the season. Yeah. Um, there was really no dangerous chances against him. I felt like when he was out there, I mean, the last game with shin was just, <laughs> it was just honestly yeah. brutal. I-, I felt like there was a scoring chance every time Pedersen and, uh, and Luke shin were on the ice. Andre Schuster had a great game. Um, he definitely played better, but, uh, I don't think it's any indication of how he's going to play down the stretch. The ducks all played much better today. Or yesterday. I'm so used to doing it right after the game <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Schuster did play a good game for sure he played almost 12 minutes too 5 on 5 which uh, speaks volumes for a third pairing defenseman how long do you think Patterson can keep playing this way before they give a shot to somebody in San Diego
2: oh the rest of the season are you kidding me
1: who are they going to bring up
2: well I mean you think they eventually maybe give Jacob Leister or Josh Maher a shot
1: no no no, no I don't think so uh, Bob Murray's crazy and, Does Pedersen have to go through project? waivers? I don't know about that. I I'm think he probably would. I
2: Maybe. think he would, yeah. So then it makes it a little bit difficult in that sense because you'd have to think a team would take a shot at him. I mean, when you look at who's been claimed off waivers so far this season, uh, Daniel just got claimed off waivers uh, from Winnipeg by Colorado. Uh, younger players who have a little bit of upside and were drafted as high as Marcus Pedersen were, it wouldn't make sense. I don't. I, I think to send, send him down unless you're replacing him for injury. So yeah, I guess you're right. I think he would stick up. But if he struggles, and so let's say Jakob Larsen or Josh Maher is just playing out of their mind in San Diego, it's going to be a tough call not to to replace them and bring one of those guys
1: up to give him a shot. I mean, this was also I think Pedersen's best game defensively. Oh yeah, that, the, that the, yeah. pair was solid. They yeah, they were good. Uh, I'm looking at the shot rates here, and I know it doesn't tell the whole story. But look at the at the high danger scoring chances against. They were out there for zero of those. They were not out there for a goal against in all situations. Uh Schuster only had one shot against when he was out, whereas Peterson only had two. So yeah. they played I mean, Schuster played eleven fifty and Peterson played ten fifty. So about a minute more for Schuster. They played well. Uh yeah. it was crazy to me. At least defensively they played well. Obviously they don't try to play offensively, but defensively they weren't a liability tonight. And that's that's positive for them. But yeah, I don't see them bringing anyone anyone up and giving him a chance over over Pedersen. They they've trusted Pedersen since last season to play the majority of minutes, and um, honestly, he hasn't been paired with the best guys. I mean, let's look at his defensive pairings. It's not like he's starting every single game with Josh Manson or with Hampus Lindholm and getting the, you know the top guys you know a chance to play with him. It's just not working for him, right? He's he's in that role that Brandon Montour is in um, and Cam Fowler's been in, where they just have to ride with anchors until they get their shot. Yeah. Pretty
2: much. Well, that's it. What we have for questions. Um, oh, Troy
1: Terry. Troy Terry. David Rodriguez said, uh, Terry looked a little bit better and a bit more involved tonight. Do you oh, agree? Uh, I think so, but he played on the fourth line. Yeah, he's, he, he hasn't uh, been good to start the season, man.
2: So he, he was involved a bit more, but he was given less opportunity to succeed. Uh, I, I How don't, many minutes did he play? Let's see. It can't be a lot. I, I don't see him even moving up. The lineup. He played either. 11 minutes. With the way Sherwood, still Lindstrom, and Steele played last game, I would hope and, and I would believe that they'd be together next game. And you know, maybe if if Silferberg is out, Terry gets a shot with Henrique and Comtois, But I would have to think that Mikel would slot in there easier, and then maybe Terry jumps up with Kessler and Cogliano. But that's not a great position to put him in either. Uh, he's got to show more, though, because these guys have been kind of all around the lineup so far, the rookies have, and they've all shown more than Troy Terry. And again, we, we've mentioned this before, but it's, it's surprising because I felt for sure, and I, I believe you did too, especially watching him in, in rookie camp and training camp, uh, he looked like he was the most ready guy out of everybody. Uh, and then Yeah, and then through the first five games that he's played in, he hasn't looked at all as good as any of them. I mean, Sherwood's looked more ready and, and a better-developed prospect at this time, um, even though Terry is, is the one who's a little bit more highly touted. Sam Steele has looked very good. Isaac Linderstrom's looked unbelievable. So has Maxime Comtois. Uh, and Troy Terry just hasn't done anything. He's had his moments where he's looked okay. He's, he's, he's The playmaking's been there, but on a consistent basis, he just hasn't looked that good. And I And I honestly think with more healthy players, he'd probably be in San Diego right now.
0: Yeah.
1: I think so too. He's, he's being outplayed by the other rookies, who he looked better than in training camp for sure. They're just maybe whatever it what is, needs. he just hasn't picked it up yet. Maybe that's what he needs, though. Is just
2: you know, if a guy like Yves or, or Getzleff comes back, maybe he just needs some time in San Diego. Go get, get some, get some confidence, confidence and come back, right? Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I definitely like more what I saw in that game than the last game he played. But it, with him playing only 11 minutes, it's kind of hard, especially on the fourth line where he doesn't really have too many guys to work with. It's really hard to see. More from him uh if he moves up in the lineup for wednesday's game then maybe we'll see more but uh, I, i'm really expecting to see something from troy terry before all these guys get back i really want to see him make a case to stick around
1: yeah no because he's been very um very much touted as their top guy going into the season it feels like and he's i mean come towards that guy for me right now and for everybody else i feel like but uh before we go Got to talk about Patreon because we got big news coming out tonight. I already posted it all over um, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter for our patrons on Patreon. It doesn't matter what tier you sign up for. Um, if you contribute in any tier, you're able to be eligible um, just for a couple more hours. So if you hear this show somehow <laughs> before we go and do the drawing tonight, uh, make sure you sign up on patreoncom dot com slash puck guys. We're giving away Paul Korea tickets we're um, doing a drawing time at 6 p.m. Pacific, so just a couple hours till we do that. Get your chance to win two tickets in the lower bowl in the 200 section uh, with you and whoever you want to bring to go to the game. It's uh, this upcoming Sunday. How convenient, the retiring nine on the ninth game of the season. Paul Correa will forever be uh, in the rafters of Honda Center, which we've all wanted and waited for for so long. So you don't want to miss out on that. Do you support us on Patreon? You'll be part of that. And then also a shout-out to Robert Swinty, who is our newest patron. Thank you, Robert, for helping us out, man, and uh, supporting us here. We really love all the support from everybody. But um, if you haven't already signed up from Patreon and you want to help us out and have a chance to win some cool stuff, go ahead and do that. But uh, also, man, we have a watch party. I feel like I have a mouthful at the end of every damn show to talk about. We (laughs) We forgot to put it in the
2: the beginning this time.
1: So the watch party is also this Saturday. I will be posting reminders all over the place because – it's going to be a big, fun time. It's going to be at Lampo's Pizza in Yorba Belinda. You're going to get a chance to hang out with us. We have prizes coming there as well. Eddie's flying in from Toronto, Ontario-ish area. I won't, I won't pigeonhole you in Toronto. But he's flying in from Canada, eastern Canada, to spend uh, time here. And we'll hang out, drink beer, eat pizza, watch the Ducks play the Golden Knights. So come out and do that as well. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Trevor Mighty. Talk to you guys later.